Thank you, uh, band. Uh, it could just be me, but I think that's the best band in uh, the county. And we are. Gr granted, I don't know what I'm talking about um, because it's, uh, I haven't been to all the churches, but I've been to a few. And uh, welcome everybody who came in after the lights went out. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. If Oh, you can hear that. That's not supposed to happen. John, uh, get yourself the key to the first verse of Give, and we're, you're going to do it a cappella here, if you're willing to, in just a minute, and I'll introduce you. So find, find your key. Find your key. Um, for those who aren't here, that thrills me. If church attendance is our measure of spirituality, we're so mistaken, aren't we? If you need to rest on Sunday morning, stay home and rest. My ego is not puffed up or fulfilled, or my measure of success is not how full this congregation is. If, if you were up with a daughter last night because of something, and you need to miss this, or you need to miss Wednesday night, or you need to not come for six months because you just need a break, take that. This here is not about me, and it's not about having a packed house, and it's not about having the best church in town or the best music. In this here is a chance where friends come together and encourage one another. And sometimes the, the biggest church, nah, I don't even want to say anything. You fill in the blanks. We hold 100 people. I counted the chairs, and I think we're 100. Brian, am I right? Right in there, 100. And... I'll be sad if, if we pack this place out. I'll do everything I can. We'll keep putting, but that's not what I want to do. I would rather have a small group of people who really loved each other and really lived out their faith with each other. We helped the poor. We fed the sick. We helped the sick, fed the whatever it is. I'm concerned about the temperature in here and my shirt. So I'm kind of giving some, myself some breathing room and these lights. So you tell me if I start to I'll roll my sleeves up. So do you understand what I'm saying, folks? You get it, right? You get it. It's not a thank you. It's not about being here on Sunday morning that says anything about anything except you chose to be here. If you're doing it out of duty, uh, I appreciate that. I hope you get something out of it. Um, if you feel this is the South, this is the Bible Belt. If you feel like you need to come to church because that's what you do, uh, I'd ask you to, to reconsider that. Come to church because you want to be with friends. Come to church because you want to worship with friends, because I know you can worship on your tractor, and I know you can worship in your office, and I know you don't need certain music to worship. But if you want to come here and worship with friends and worship with this good band, we, we absolutely love to have you. But I just want you to know, and I've said that before, I don't want you to mishear me. But I don't want this to be the church that is really jumping and bumping and humping programs. And we got this for the kids. When the real secret motive is to build attendance, and we say we just want to reach the community, sometimes that's really true. Sometimes it's nice to go to the denominational convention and go to the, the conferences and the breakouts and the seminars with churches 500 and over. Right? Right? 
Sometimes it's nice to be that guy that grew his church from four families to 350 in a year. And then in two years, they had 1,000 and had a building pro. I don't care for I'm 62 years old. I don't care about that stuff. If you care about it, then let's make it, then you can make it happen. But that's not what my agenda is here. And maybe when I was 20, I would have wanted to use you all like that to pump up my fragile ego, right? I don't want to do that anymore. In fact, it scares me. Because then people are going to start going, start saying, but grandma's played the organ for 30 years and, and grandpa bought that organ and donated it and, and, uh, and now you don't want her to play anymore. No, she can't hear anymore and she can't play anything, but 1950 tunes, and, and she's holding on to it way too tight. You with me? If we can't let something go, we're holding on to it too tight. And if, if the overseers of this church came to me, Mark, we don't think this is working anymore, I would say, so thank you for telling me. Thank you. Let's, let me help find something that works better because we hold things loosely. If you hold your keyboard really tightly because that's what you've done, then something's wrong and you're not really coming to worship God. So have I made my point? I want to apologize for last week. Some of you might need an apology. Some of you might not. But sometimes my intensity... Uh, for a variety of reasons, can become much. And I spoke about Mary, a 17-year-old unwed mother, week, and I took that into the importance of youth and the roles that youth can play, kids can play. And I'm, I'm such a defender of youth that I can become a little overly passionate, and I've seen kids be abused by adults. And when Jesus saw the crowds after he passed over to the other side and they were helpless and harassed and like sheep without a shepherd, Matthew 9 or 10, that's how I see today's youth. And I get pretty passionate about it. And I, I feel like afterwards, I felt like I, I, I might have projected a bit of an angry tone. And please forgive me if I do that. It's not your fault, the things that I've seen. Uh, I defend youth. I defend high school kids. Um, College kids, not so much, because they're often out of their house. But So if, if you need to forgive me, please, please do. I, I beg that for you. My teaching can be pretty intense. John, have you found your key? Come on, ma'am. I think we're going to replace them and come help me. Oh, get a key? Okay, you can do that. Well, don't be shy. I don't have much time. <laughs> no pressure either. No pressure either. Okay, that screws up my whole introduction. Uh, so let me switch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is John Blackwell. John and his, his wife and family are visiting from Kansas. Uh, John uh, is a sales rep during the day. Uh, John grew up singing with Britney Spears, and uh, Britney went her way, and it, as it turns out, John can't dance. Um, so John and Susie have done a song. Uh, the one I asked them uh, to sing was a, the song called Give, went to number one on the Inspirational Country Charts uh, four years ago, something like and hung out there for about four weeks, then dropped back, and then went back up. Uh, so, yeah, you sing whatever you want. Just not all four verses. Just one verse. Hit a point. Oh, Lord, my God. When I, in awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hands had made, 
I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, O my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, O my Savior God, to me. How great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art. Not bad for 11 o'clock on a <clears throat> Sunday morning with no warning and no. There's an old parable about six people standing around, around an elephant. These people are blind. <clears throat> They're all standing around the elephant in a different place. And they are asked to describe the elephant. So they all approach and they touch the elephant. One of them has a leg. Another one has a belly, another one's got a trunk that moves, another one has a tusk, another one has the foot. And they describe this thing that they're touching, unbeknownst to each of them, they're all describing the same thing, but they don't know that the other person is there describing that. <clears throat> when we approach the Gospels, do not be upset that Luke describes something different than Matthew. Don't let that mess with you. He's at a different place on the elephant, right? Well, Luke says this. He was looking at it differently. He was in a different spot. He was looking at it through his own personality. And so each of us comes to the text with our own bias, and we have our biases typically depending on where our first touch with the text was. Some people have a Holy Spirit bias, and that's all they see is Holy Spirit. Every time the word fire is mentioned, they're like, whoa! And uh, no, that's actually talking about a campfire. Oh, well, it works! Oh! Or uh, another person might be uh, have entered Scripture, and their first touch was through the end times and Revelation. And so everything is about, they read the Old Testament, it's all about the end times. The end times are coming, and then people make a lot of money writing about whatever moon is happening. Um, so if you can hear my cynicism. Some people focus on signs and wonders because that's how they were introduced to the elephant. That's how they were introduced to faith. And usually our first touch, our first entry into faith is where we get to it. I, and I hope we, want to be teachers of the entire scriptures, right? Not just the part we were touched first or that we happen to come upon, but 
want to be able to go around the whole elephant, above it, below it, around it, find out where it lived, when it lived there. What it was like to be able to bring all of us uh, a perspective on Scripture that is accurate. So we come to Matthew. Uh, we've talked about the, the five women in the Bible. Next, in Matthew 2 and 3, are, is the birth of Christ, right? I'm going to skip that, save that for a holiday that we have coming up, and uh, we'll, we'll touch back on that. I could, I could go into it, but um, we'll save it for the holidays. Let's go to John the Baptist, J- Matthew chapter 3 especially. And there's some stuff about John the Baptist that I think you're going to like. At Till, which is exactly 10 minutes from now, so that'll keep me on time, I will... We got to work. <clears throat> Just drinking coffee through a straw. John the Baptist. His father was Zacharias, a priest. His mother, you know, is Elizabeth. She was referred to in Luke again. Luke and, and Matthew really play off each other as the daughters of Aaron, which were in the priestly guild. So he is, or John the Baptist is, point number one, a preacher's kid. Both parents are out of priestly lineage. And like most preacher's kids, rebel at some point. And uh, he was born six months before Christ. Second point I have in my notes today. John the Baptist was set apart early as a Nazarite, different from a Nazarene. The Nazarites were a particular sect that took vows. The vows they took were to abstain from vinegar, grapes, and raisins. What does that mean? Wine, basically. You ever had raisin wine? I haven't either. I didn't know it existed. But basically fermented. So they they took a vow of abstinence of those kinds of things. They took another vow like Samson. And I will tell you that Samson and John the Baptist were the first Rastafarians. They took a hair, and part of that vow was to basically not comb it, because that pulls out hair. Baptist and those who lived out in the desert, like John the Baptist, did not cut their hair. Samson is another one you know of that took the Nazarite vows. And uh, the Rastafari is an ancient Middle Eastern sect that comes out of the Essenes, at least in the early days, austere living it much now, and they're largely identified by their music and by their dreadlocks. Well, Lest you judge anybody too quickly, when you see dreadlocks, I want to encourage you. John the Baptist lived in the desert, and he did not comb his hair or cut it. That's a little scary, isn't it? Now, I've been in the deserts where he was at, and I I can tell you what the landscape is like. The landscape is like this road out here with concrete, and then take a handful of gravel from somewhere and kind of throw across that road, and that's what the landscape is like. And to collect dew, they would chisel. This We didn't have iron back then. They would chisel trenches in, in the stone or in the concrete down and collect any kind of rainfall, any kind of dew, any kind of moisture they could get because it just wasn't there. They 
desert of deserts, near and around the Dead Sea, which, as we know, is about 1,200 feet. Is that right? 1,200 feet, I think, below sea level. They don't get a lot of rain. So if John Baptist wanted to take a bath, that was a, uh, quite a big deal. And they took a vow of purity, which in those days meant uh, don't touch any corpses, so they didn't help in, in the embalming process. Uh, don't go to any graveyards. It's an ancient Hebrew purification kind of thing, having to do with uh, a variety of things that developed over the a thousand years or so before the internet. Point number three. <clears throat> Preacher's kid, Rastafarian, at least dreadlocks. John the Baptist lived an austere life in the desert. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the desert around where John the Baptist probably, most people think he lived. It's in a place called Quran, and it's... Uh, the, the sect that lived there was not the Pharisees, the Sadducees, but it was the next major sect, the Essenes. They lived in the desert there, and they probably were the ones who preserved uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that gave so much credibility to the, tech, the scriptures that we have today. The <clears throat> Pharisees uh, believed certain things about the Old Testament. Sadducees believed certain things. They both had opposition. The Essenes were the strictest and the most austere of all of them. These guys removed themselves from society in a mon monastery kind of approach, and <clears throat> they really believed in strict and ever stricter, ever tighter adherence to the Torah, which is uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. So Jesus comes, Jesus is saying, as John the Baptist and the Essenes and the Pharisees are tightening down this control and thinking purity happens through these ritual washings, bathings, ceremonies, a certain way to do things, Jesus comes and says, you won't need to do those things anymore. And as they're tightening down, Jesus is opening up. As they're saying, this is the Jew-Hebrew religion, Jesus is saying, this going to be for everybody. So you see the contrast here, and you see why, <clears throat> my next point, that John the Baptist is very, very important to bring this gap. It's no accident that John baptized, most call him John the Baptist, by the way, as opposed to the Baptist, be, you know, you could say John the First Baptist on Third Street, uh, but he's the baptizer because that's how he was um, known in those days, and he would go baptize ritual cleansing in the Jordan River, quite symbolic because the Jordan River is where the Hebrews passed over a thousand years before. So he goes back to that spot and begins baptizing, and then Jesus comes to him. John the Baptist's purpose was very clear, and ladies and gentlemen, on Wednesday we're talking about what's your theme for your life. John the Baptist's theme was very clear. He was a preparer for the Messiah. He was, if you will, in my notes, I said he's a bridge between this Old Testament Hebrew tightening, narrow, rule-keeping, law-keeping, to this Savior who says, the law-keeping will bring death to you. But I bring life. And John the Baptist was in a perfect position, a perfect position in lineage, in time and history, in relationship to Jesus, 
perfect position to be that guy. His message was simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the other gospels use the kingdom of God. For our purposes, it's, it, it works either way. Matthew liked the kingdom of heaven. I don't know why. I'm sure scholars have a reason for that. But he used the kingdom of heaven 33 times in his book. And John the baptizer's mission was to bring and introduce and prepare the way for the kingdom of heaven. Translation, the Messiah is coming. He's coming during our time. And he's going to be looking forward. I'm looking back. Point number five. John the Baptist was very hard on, on religion. And I'm staying away from Scripture a, a, a lot because I know you can read it in Matthew chapter 3. When he saw the Sadducees and Pharisees coming to where he was baptizing, verse 7 of chapter 3, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you want to flee the coming wrath, don't you? You're just trying to get out of trouble. Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, and so on and so forth. Don't think you can say, I was born in Oklahoma. Of course I'm a Christian. That will get me into heaven. Or my dad was a preacher. Or I went to Bible school. Or yes, I've memorized Bible school. That will get you into heaven. Nothing gets you into heaven except Jesus. And John the Baptist introduced that to us. Now I'm going to make a phone call to a friend here, and then I'm going to jump into my last two points because I told him that I was going to call him during my service. Now, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter... Oh, I didn't... Oh, he didn't mark it. I think it's chapter 11. Can you help me? I want the part Luke where John the Baptist comes. Oh, shoot. Did I write it down? Oh, it's Matthew 11. That's what it is. Matthew. Oh, I did mark that. That's how bad I do. I'm calling my friend Andy. Haven't spoke with Andy for a while. Let's, let's see what Andy has to say. Phone. Andy is about 45 years old. Andy, um, I met Andy when he dated my oldest daughter. Just a high school kid. But we've stayed in touch. Let's see if he picks up the phone. He knows I'm calling him. He has no idea what I'm calling him about. He doesn't know we're in church, so I'm going to have to. Come on, Andy, I'm right on time, Bob. Is the speaker up here? Let's go to voicemail. Hi, this is Andy Ward. I'm sorry I missed your call. Yeah, me too, Bob. You know I was calling. When my life was in one of the hardest, darkest points that it has ever been in, this young man, my former, the former boyfriend of my oldest daughter, gave me a job. 
So treat the boyfriends right. Are you kidding me? He might, he's probably, he might be in the mountains, so, but I'll, one more try here. He'll probably call me right when I'm making my great big point. Jesus and John the Baptist. And Jesus, instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach in Galilee. And John, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to him and said, Are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus said, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of these things. And John's disciple, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. Let me tell you that story in a different way. John's in prison. John the baptizer is in prison, and he's about to die. We all, we all know various parts of that story. And he sends his interns to Jesus. Now, it was quite a walk from where he was hanging out, several days' walk up to Galilee where Jesus was teaching. And they said, are you really the Christ, or should we expect something else? John wants to know if you're the Christ. Folks, do you catch that? John the Baptist wasn't sure. You got it? We think spirituality is being absolutely sure of something. Who's more spiritual than John the Baptist? And he wasn't sure. I will tell you the opposite, and who was it? Somebody, was it you and I talking? The opposite of faith is not doubt. I will tell you the opposite of faith is certainty. It requires very little faith to believe I'm going to have lunch this afternoon. There's leftover lasagna you have and veggies in the fridge. I don't, it doesn't require any faith. I'm pretty certain I'm going to have lunch. How about you? But we say we live by faith, right? Faith only happens when we are absolutely certain. I'm absolutely certain this is how you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm absolutely certain this is how the end times are going to work. I'm absolutely certain that Isaiah's prophecy means this. I'm absolutely certain this is how you're... I don't know how that works, but when we get into trouble, I'm absolutely certain this is God's will. Being nearly most of my adult life in full-time ministry vocations, I can tell you there have been dozens of times when I would get letters or phone calls from someone who says, I was in prayer the other day, and God told me I needed to come work for your organization. Sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? Which my response was usually, well, that's super. Let's see if he tells us that too, right? (laughs) If it's God's will, I'm sure he'll tell us that too. There's this certainty that we have that takes us out of faith. If you want certainty, this Christianity is not the faith for you. 
Because if we come to God, we have to come trusting that he is. That he is. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? If you want absolute certainty, there are denominations and there are different religions out there that will tell you, and they'll lay it out in systematic form, and you'll get the handbook, and this is what we believe, and we are certain about it. And, and there's been Christianity has been around for two hundred or for two thousand years and more, and and there are one hundred and sixty Christian denominations, but this particular one is certain that they've got the corner on it. Forgive me for judging, but how arrogant! How arrogant for them to think they know what's God's will. They know exactly how it's done. I know a whole lot less than I do more, right? If you want certainty, Christianity isn't for you. If you want certainty, you need to join a faith or a religion that will tell you what to do and give you rules so you can know what to do it and that you can know God's, God's will because you hear voices and God speaks to you in certain ways. And forgive me, folks, I know, I know that that can happen. But also, please understand, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I've seen that so used to so manipulate people. We bring speakers up here and they say, God's telling me that someone out here has a, has a sore back this morning. Everybody's got a sore back. So that's brilliant. Somebody's been struggling with migraines. In a crowd this size, there's four or five of you with migraines. I'm not impressed. Go visit the hospitals. <laughs> Forgive me, but that's my little side. If you want to heal, go, go visit the hospitals. Here's what I want you to I was going to call Andy. Here's what Andy was going to say. He was going to call me meeting. Meeting, what are you doing? I was going to say, hey, Andy, you're on speakerphone right now. And he was going to say, oh, great. Uh, tell Susie hi. Hey, you're right. Tell Susie, his wife Susan, too, as well. Hey, Andy, you're in front of my church. Oh, wow. And I'd say, they can all hear you and something like that. And Andy doesn't go to church anymore. And that's why I'm calling him because my other buddies are in church. So I'd say, Andy, when was, when was the last time we spoke? And he would say, we haven't spoke for about eight or nine months, maybe a year. And then I'd say, Andy, Describe what kind of friends we are. And uh, he, he might have said, well, am I still on speakerphone? I said, yeah, tell the truth. What kind of friends are we? And he would probably say, I love you, Mark. I miss seeing you. How are you? We got to catch up sometime. Good friends do not need to talk every day. If you need to talk with your good friend every day, maybe they're not quite that good a friend. John the Baptist says, Jesus, are you really who you say you are? And John the Baptist did an, or Jesus did an incredibly, here's my point, an incredibly courageous thing. He gave John the Baptist a cryptic answer to his interns. A cryptic answer. He didn't say, yes, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. He gave him a vague, oblique, cryptic, that John the Baptist wouldn't understand. But the rest of us said no. And his interns leave, and they go back to John the Baptist with this crypt, cryptic message. And Jesus turns to the crowd and builds up John the Baptist. John the Baptist, I will tell you, was not unsettled by Jesus' cryptic answer. If Jesus had thought John the Baptist was weak, 
He would have said, yes, tell him I'm the Messiah. Tell him it's going to happen right here. But he respected John the Baptist, and catch this, ladies and gentlemen, he respected John the Baptist by not showing up. If you need signs and wonders, if you need God to speak to you, if you need audible voices, if you're throwing out fleeces, you're young in your faith. By the time we're 40 or 50, folks, we should know that God's here already. We don't need to demand a sign. That's what kids do. That's what insecure relationships do. That's why I don't have to talk to Andy every day, and I'm good. Young Christians must have the presence of God here. and He's got to do things, and we've got to dance, and we've got to show, and we've got to have music, and we've got to get, because that's how God shows up for immature people. If Susie's gone for a texter, and she doesn't answer me, and I'm insecure in my relationship with her, I go, whoa, what's she up to? She's kind of cute. I wonder if she's sitting beside a cute guy right now. I see people flirt with her. Hmm. And I start getting all crazy. But if I trust Susie, I don't. I relax. Our relationship is good. She'll call me when she's ready to call me. Are you with me? But we demand, catch it, we demand God show up. Because we really don't trust him, even though we say we do, we start getting scared and say, show up now. And that's what John the Baptist did. Are you really who you say you are? Because I'm about to be beheaded. And Jesus, I think, says to John the Baptist, you're stronger than you think, John. I want you to have faith in God. I don't want to, have, I don't want to give you this certainty so that you can have faith in yourself. I want you to die with faith. Can I say it this way? I want you to die with doubt, believing anyway. I want you to die with doubt, believing anyway. Got it? So those of us who demand a sign, demand clarity on Scripture, who insist it works this way, insist it works that way, we're not living by faith. Jesus let John the Baptist hang as a huge salute to his buddy in the desert. I really like it that Andy didn't answer. Because I could get all insecure about, hey, he told me he was going to pick up at Tintill. But I trust Andy. I love Andy. We've got a 25-year relationship. I don't need him to jump through my hoops on my time schedule to prove that he loves me. But we so often do that to God. We demand proof. We demand a sign. We demand this. And and that just says we're young in our faith still. We're young in our faith. If If you need your husband to bring you flowers every Friday so that you can have trust in his relationship with you, you're young in your marriage. Flowers on Friday are nice, but if flowers on Friday are meant to prove a point, then they're manipulative, or we depend on it. Folks, are you doing okay? Do you get it? Do you see, isn't that wild? Jesus let John the Baptist hang out of respect for him. I was in the hospital one time, 
And my good friend Gary that I fished with probably every other Monday fly fishing uh, out at a particular lake, sitting in a boat, catching rainbow trouts. Oh, awesome. I'm not talking about rainbow trouts. I was in the hospital, and Gary left me a message that I didn't get until later. And he says, Mark, I'm not going to come visit you. I know there's tons of people around, and you don't need me to anyway. I love you. That was his text. And I got it when I got home and got my phone back and opened it up. And that was exactly right. Gary called a few days later. He respected our relationship enough to relax in it. And Jesus and John the Baptist treated each other like men. When Jesus showed up, John the Baptist said, Whoa, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. And respect. And Jesus said, No, please baptize me. And John the Baptist humbled himself and did that. And then Jesus left. And John continued his work. And then he never got the answer he longed for. Folks, you and I will never get the, never get the assurance of faith we long for. Because if we had absolute assurance of faith, there would be no faith. If we had absolutely assurance of faith, there would be no faith. Some of you have demanded absolute assurance of faith. And while Clay plays this song here, I'm going to give you a chance to repent from that. Do you trust God or do you trust God only when you're absolute? Finally, you've satisfied my brilliant mind, right? God, you've met my intellect, and you have satisfied my brilliance. I now believe because you've satisfied. Folks, God is beyond us. He doesn't need to answer to us, you or me. God shows up when he wants, how he wants, whenever he wants, and sometimes as a huge, huge symbol of respect, he doesn't show up in the way you want him to show up when you want him to show up. Sometimes it looks like he's different distant. And if we trust God, we trust him in the way that he shows up, not how we want him to show up.